Michelle Weidenbetter, your chief hope builder here at Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. If you haven't found our private Facebook group, I invite you to go to Facebook and type in groups and then Moms Letting Go with no spaces and come on in. We'll hold your hand. We'll give you support. We'll pray with you and be what you need to love your child well through this addiction crisis in your life. Um, If you listen to the podcast and you feel inclined to leave a review, I would be ecstatic because that's how others find us. And if you are somebody who is on the hunt for some instant understanding of your child's addiction um, and want to learn everything that you can, you can go to momsletting.go.teachable.com and I have three courses currently there, Understanding Addiction, How to Control Your Obsessive Thoughts because we all think our children are going to die of an, in an overdose um, and it's paralyzing, I understand. I also, the latest one is an 11-step um, video series of what moms can do, right? And each video is just two to two to three minutes long. It's very short. Um, you can get through that pretty quickly. So I'm also looking for a power team. If you're a mom of an addicted loved one who is maybe even in recovery and you have been in recovery long enough that now you want to do something to give back and help other moms, I have just recently become an unhackable coach and I'm looking for other moms who want to become unhackable moms of addicts. I will call us the unhackable hope builders. So um, reach out to me if that's something that is of interest to you. And um, God bless on your journey. I look forward to serving you here. And you'll lead the meeting. I I am right here. Yep. Welcome to our evening support. We have our guest tonight, Crystal Waltman. Crystal decided she needed to quit in order to win. She discovered a powerful process to acknowledge the past, find joy in the present, and welcome a new future. Today, she has a passion for helping others achieve more success in their lives. Her book, shows you how to let go of the past and release the shame and guilt, learn to feel physical and emotional pain and maintain spiritual fitness, love who you are and whom you are meant to be. And now is the time to stop stop just surviving and start thriving. Reorganize yourself and clear the space for a fulfilled life, the life you always wanted. It's time to start quitting to win And that is the name of her book, Quitting to Win, a proven plan to let go of bad habits, learn to feel and love yourself. Um, And um, Crystal, uh, tonight is going to talk about serenity. You are born with this disease. You are not the disease. Releasing shame and guilt and passing the gene, gene on to your children. So welcome, welcome, Crystal, and thank you for being with us and sharing your story and your book and your experience. You, you, you were telling me that you are now five years into recovery too. 
That's correct. Well, thank you, Michelle. And hello to all you beautiful faces out there. Um, Michelle and I connected because we were going through this program and her coming from a, an addicted parent, you know, of loved ones and me being the addicted one and overcome that we just were drawn to each other. And so that's how we met through our publisher. So thank you, Michelle, for having me on tonight. It's, it's a real honor to speak to all the moms. And I know it's hard to come forward and, you know, gather together, but we can heal together. So I will start off by just sharing my experience, strength and hope with you. Um, so for my experience, um, you know, my alcohol usage started at the age of 14 and it's, I was a, I was a softball player and I was put up with the 18 year old girls at the age of 14. So emotionally, I wasn't mature, you know, like um, they were, and we were winning. And when we won, we celebrated. So it was a high performer and real, real blackout. So, you know, train hard, work hard, get good grades, and then, you know, blackout. And I continued that cycle all the way um, through college. And so I was in this vicious cycle that I could never get out of. And I was just couldn't caught in the insanity, but from the outside, everything was put together because, um, I had my family you know, was there to, you know, pick up the pieces. And I always had people around me that were taking care of things. So it took me a while to hit my bottom, you know, what I called my bottom, which was my bottom, um, to surrender. And, I first got pulled over um, at 20 years old and they made me go to these classes and these classes were AA classes. And it was, you know, the court order classes that I had to sit through. It was then that I learned about and the, about what the disease was. Like my mom divorced my dad because he was an alcoholic, but I really didn't know what that meant. And I thought, you know, if I don't drink, then maybe if I'm not around it, then how could it be an alcoholic? And so I sit through these classes, court ordered, and I go through these 12 questions and it's like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, wow, well, maybe I am different than other people. You know, maybe these blackouts aren't normal. Maybe it's not normal to do this and not normal to do that. So that planted the seed. Then it took me 20 years to get back to the rooms. And I was at such a desperate point in my life where I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep going on. I was lying to myself and my husband and I had a daughter and, you know, drinking and driving as a mom is just, was just not a good look. And, um, I was of no use to anybody because I couldn't even take care of myself. You know, I was lying. I was manipulating. I wasn't present for my child, this child that I wanted so badly. And then I just couldn't wait to get my next drink. And so I was caught in this insanity over and over again. And my husband traveled a lot and I felt this loneliness and, you know, this drinking and want to black out um, every time he left. And just missing that spiritual connection was just a setup for a disaster. So I surrendered. I seeked help. I got a sponsor right away and she took me through um, the steps. There was one lady. She was on my street. She lived on my street. There's only one person on my whole street that didn't drink. And I knew that because I would push the stroller with the tumbler, you know, push the baby in the stroller with the tumbler and have a drink with everybody, you know, 
down the street and there was one lady and she was always like, you know, do you want some iced tea? And I'm like, what do you mean? Why don't you drink? You know, but she was very well put together. She looked like she just walked off a magazine. Her house was beautiful. She was single. And I'm like, what does this woman have that I don't have? And like, why does she always seem so put together? So one day I was, I asked her, I said, how do you not, how'd you stop drinking? And why don't you drink? And she said, well, come with me. And I showed up to her house and she took me to my first meeting. And that was how I got to my first meeting. And I had told her everything that was going on. And, you know, she said, okay, I'll be your sponsor in 90 meetings, 90 days. And I did that. Like I went into this, I went into the program, just like I took on sports and everything else. Like, okay, I'm all in. There's no, there's no option, but you know, I sat in the rooms for 30 days crying in the corner, not able to speak. You know, it took me 30 days before I could look up and look at people and, and acknowledge that I was there. And, but, you know, you hear that happy laughter, joyous and free. And then you start to see people from your gym or see people from your kid's school. And it's like a spotting in the wild. And you're like, don't I know you from somewhere? Oh, what? You're in this together too. And then, you know, you, you just start connecting with people. And it was, you know, at first when you're, you're embarrassed to see somebody and then second, you're like, oh my gosh, we're in this together. We go to the same school and church and um, gym, you know, and you start to see the same person. And then that becomes your new, you know, your new go-to person. of like, okay, we got each other. If you can do it, I can do it. And I went through the whole year. I, I, she took me through the steps. It wasn't easy. I didn't know if I was going to stay married. My husband did not. He wanted me to stop drinking, but only when he wanted me to stop drinking, you know, he still wanted me to be able to drink with him whenever we could get away from the kids and, you know, have a party weekend. And I could not turn it on and off. He would go back to work and I would still continue to drink. And so it, you know, it took me like, surrendering everything, not knowing if I would have a marriage at the end of it, not knowing if I would have a kid at the end of it, not knowing what my life was going to look like. But I knew that I could not keep going on the way I was going on because I was pretty much dead inside anyways, um, because I was just caught in this insanity of kept drinking and blacking out. And so I didn't know if I could stay married or not because we had been drinking partners for the last, um, you know, almost 20 years. So, and going through this first year, I was pretty shaky. Um, you know, I'd had flashbacks and like going to parking lots of restaurants that we'd pull into or different places of where I would black out or whatever. And, you know, just reestablishing those relationships. And just because you want to make those amends and you write the letters and you deliver them doesn't mean those people are ready to accept it. And I guess that was the hardest thing for me too. I was like, but what? I'm sober now. Like, come on, it's okay. Everything's fine. You know, but, but, but you cause so much damage and you let so many people down and, and you put them at risk. And so. Takes a while to regroup, to get the trust back. Yeah. It takes a long time. And most people did come around, but not everybody came around in the first year. It took a year. And then they call me like, Hey, you still doing that sober thing? Like, yep, I'm still doing that sober thing, you know? So then they slowly start to come back around. And, um, after I went through my first year, I felt like I graduated 
And I was like, I think I'm good. I think I got this. I started having these thoughts of I can drink again. Um, it's going to be March. It's my happy time in Arizona. You know, spring trainings here. I think I've got this. I went this whole time. I have all these tools now. No. So I, I thought about it and I started to drink in one, one Thursday night. I had one drink Friday, I had two drinks Saturday, I had three, and it slowly crept back up onto me for two weeks. I was in the emergency room again. And so like they say, when you stop, if you relapse, you go right back to that desperate stop, you know, that part where you left off. And, and that, that was sure true for me a couple of times. It took me several relapses to be like, okay, like no matter how, how long a period of time I can go dry, I can never do that again because it just, it's that disease. So then I get sober. My marriage starts to come back together. I start to, you know, have more um, responsibilities with my daughter back, you know, without having a lady sitter all the time around me. Um, and how old was she at that point? So um, she was four or five years old. So she, she did find me one time on the floor and, um, um, you know, I ended up in the hospital that night, but, you know, I, I can see her screaming and that, you know, that thing of like, mommy, 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 you know, it's like a, that thing. Um, but I don't know if she'll remember or not. Yeah. And I don't know. But all I know is today. Yeah. So then I get sober. But I'm still stuck and I can't get anything done, right? All I can do is go to meetings and I'm going to meetings and it's like, okay, so I'm sober. So what? Now what? Like, how do I get out of this self-limiting beliefs? Because even though I was able to take substance out of my life, then, you know, that's when the real work starts where you have to work on the emotional stuff. So then you have like that whole year or two or three or four of working on emotional stuff. It took me five years before I was able to like, function right now like I am as a as a regular human you know where I'm accountable I can get stuff done I can do you know do do this this and that but how do I was there any one thing that helped you then start doing more than just the sober thing I mean what was there one trigger or one event that yes I can do this yes and my relapse I after my third time, I said, you know, I'm going to recover out loud because recovering with the anonymity, I still felt like I was doing the double agent thing. And I, I was still like lying a little bit, you know, when I'd be out social and be like, oh, no, no, thank you. Or, you know, I, I would decline. And I'm like, this time around, and I was doing it, I think, because of my husband and him not wanting to admit, you know, that his wife was an alcoholic. And so I was kind of once again, falling into a role of what somebody else wanted me to be. So this, this time around, I said, I'm recovering out loud. I'm coming out with my message. I'm outing myself. What did he say? Your husband, how did he, what did he say? Well, it's still on, it's still touch and go. Yeah. It, it is still touch and go. And it's because like, I have to stay in my lane and I'm going to do me. And whether he's going to come along with me or not, I don't know. All I know is I'm going to show up every day and do the next right thing. 
But so I wrote this book, Quitting to Win, and it talks about, it introduces mostly, like I wanted to introduce the 12 questions that I was asked. You know, because if, if I had never saw those questions and I would have never probably, that seed wouldn't have been planted for me to heal. So I'm like, if somebody can read these questions, you know, maybe they would say like, oh, there's help out there for me. Hi, Steph. <laughs> so, so I wanted to get these questions out into the book and it's my way. What was different for me this time, Michelle, what you asked is, was to recover out loud. Right. I no longer wanted to do the anonymity. I wanted to recover out loud and carry, carry the message of hope because this is what an alcoholic looks like. This is what an addict looks like. And to not be put in that category because to try to keep up, you know, that look, it just, it wasn't working for me. So writing the book is how I got unstuck. And that was like making amends, like that was almost like making a blanket amends to everybody. And, you know, whether they read it or not, I don't know, but that's, that's how I got all the way out of the ditch that I put myself in. <laughs> when, when was the book published? July 7th this year. This, this year. Oh, well, this year. Congratulations. Wow. I, and I, I feel like that next step of recovering out loud there is so much risk in that space um and i see it our, our son and daughter-in-law are almost two years into recovery but they're not out loud anymore like they were when they were around their people and when they were in sober living and for the first year they were living in a community where they just were out loud about it but once they moved back home and then they got full-time jobs, you, the people that don't understand addiction, um, there's a risk there and they're afraid they'll lose their job. They're afraid that people are gonna judge them, that there's shame there. So I feel like that's probably a step in recovery that is different for everybody. Not everybody can just step into that. So. Well done. Wow. What? Yeah. I'd like to speak to that. Like uh, for one, an employer cannot fire somebody because they're alcoholic. They, you know, I, they have to offer them treatment and say, you know, go and they have to be, and they have to dismiss them for an hour a day if they have to go to that meeting, because mm -hmm. that is there, that's a disease that's protected under the ADA. So but you not drugs, but you can't be using Okay. So you can't use while you're working, but okay. if you say I'm an alcoholic, I have to go to my meeting at noon every day. They have to dismiss, they have, you know, they can't hold that against you because wow. that's like saying I need to go get my insulin shot. Right. Okay. Wow. So recovering out loud. Okay. So back to our topic, serenity. I am an alcoholic, but I, that is the disease that I have, but that is not who I am. Right. And for, and, and being stuck, right. When you get out of recovery, you are that, right. That's all you can think of because you got that going over and over in your head and you're in the steps and you hear the language and you know, you're around all those people and you surround yourself with that community. So how do you go from that community into the real world? Um, and how do you find your serenity? It, and, and it is really, it is really hard. Um, so the way that I found it, um, I, when I just, I made it to my 40th birthday sober, which I didn't think I never could picture myself 40 years old. 
And I had a birthday party and I was sober. And it was at that time, surrounded by friends and family, I said, I'm going to write a book. And then when I found my publisher, I interviewed a few different people, but I was drawn to him because he was also had that pain infliction and he was in recovery himself. And they, and that the publishing house did not celebrate with alcohol, like some of the other publishers did. And so here I am listening to yet another story of somebody who had a disease of a cutter and was able to overcome it, right? And not be that disease, but turn their pain into their purpose and carry the message and lift up all these other people. Wow, great story. I love it. Oh. And, and that's what I do, why I do what I'm doing is, you know, you find purpose in the pain. And it was so painful as a mom to watch your child, you, you know, you just lose all your dreams, your hopes for that child in what you always thought they would, would be able to do with their lives. So um, how was your mom throughout all of this with you? So my mom divorced my dad um, because he was alcoholic when I was one year old. Mm. And so I always knew that word a little bit, but she never really spoke bad about him. And he would just disappear for years at a time. And then, so she, and I didn't know this until I got into my forties almost. I did not know that she was like Al-Anon speak, you know, keep your side of the street clean. Like all these things that she, uh, that I would hear her say, I never knew that she went to Al-Anon, you know, when I was, when I was a little child and how she was able to set boundaries, but how was she? We, I grew up in a house without any alcohol or drugs and, um, you know, she led by example and she was very much at peace by getting, by being able to get divorced and just saying, you know, I want to be at peace. I don't want to worry about if he's coming home or not, because my dad was successful and we had everything that we needed. But whether or not or what state he would come home in, I guess, was why she decided to leave because he would drink at the bar, you know, after work instead of coming home. So, um, so when you were struggling, was that really hard for her to see you? Yes. Yeah, so fast forward to like high school and stuff. Um, she took the tough love approach and the pro, you know, and the tough love approach was, you know, you don't live here if you do this, this, and this. And, and I left and nobody came after me. So, and then it's like, okay, you know, then you go live down the street with your friends for a while. And then you, you know, you end up coming back and it's going like, okay, I don't want that life. Mm -hmm. And then, but she never really discussed it, you know, as long, and then in college came around and I had some more, um, consequences, you know, if I wasn't starting at a game then my parents would show up at our, at our college game and I wasn't standing on first base, they'd be like, Oh, what's wrong. Did she, you know, did she break her ankle or foot, you know, what, what's wrong with her? Is she hurt? You know, never crossing their mind again that the night before I had just, you know, something had happened and alcohol related and, you know, I got suspended. Wow. So, but as long as I was a high performer and, you know, my parents put up the tough love very early on, and I don't know if that got to my recovery quicker or not, but she had, she drew those lines because of my dad early on. And she, she, she told me like, I picked him, she picked him up from jail once and she told him like, oh, I'm never doing that again. 
so don't call me. <laughs> yeah. So we grew up knowing, knowing like, you know, my mom told us that if you go to jail, I'm not picking you up. You're going to sleep there. So she so you always know that in the back of your head, like, oh shit, I can't, I can't call my parents. <laughs> Um, I, and I know I'm laughing at it, but it's serious, but it's like, it's really hard when you, when you're a parent and a kid. And so I would say to the parents and, you know, what my mom would say to me is she would continually just instill all the other things that I had going. And like, you, you have that, but you are not that, you know, that is not, you, you are not just an alcoholic. This so is she would say that to you and yes. that way. She would say that, that is, you, you have that and, you know, let that gift, let your, let that gift become, you know, what propels you. Right. Oh, I um, love one, Once I got sober, cause I was still so nervous and I was still so not out loud and, you know, but why, who's it going to serve for me to play small, you know, and, and I just was playing small. And I think that my playing small came from social anxiety early on when I was around people who I thought had what I wanted, you know, and so to take the ed edge off, I would start drinking. Well, that same thing came around whenever I was with my husband and I had that little, that uncomfortableness in my skin. And it's like, you know, you want to have a drink to take the edge off. And now it is like, you know, holding the, the keys to the kingdom as far as going into a room and not having that. And it, I think it is only because my mom has, my, my mom has stayed sober and she has, no, I mean, not stayed sober. She never had a problem, but she has stayed there. Like, you know, your mom's always there no matter what, you know? And I told her, I called her once and I said, mom, I think I'm getting divorced. My husband is not, I don't know if I can stay in the situation if sure. my partner does not get sober. I don't know. And she was like, all right, I got you whatever, you know, did you ever at any point though, feel like she, she was detaching from you in that she couldn't love you or she couldn't be there for you until you were sober. I mean, was that her tough yes. love or did you always feel like she loved you through it? I do feel like she loved me through it, but she could not love me if I was not sober. And how did she, how, how did that make you feel? Because it, it, it's that it's that place that moms are at. Like we want to meet them where they are. And sometimes they're not ready for sobriety. So we want to love them and hate the disease. But finding that happy middle where you're not enabling, you know, if you choose to do this, fine, but you can't live here um, and still loving them. But like when my son was using, I didn't even want to see him. I, I I just couldn't, I, I couldn't handle seeing him because it was so emotional for me that I had to guard my self-care. But in looking back, I now can see things that I would do differently because I understand the disease better. It, it, he didn't want to be that way. It's kind of like when, when you were younger and your, your daughter was little, it's, it's not like you wanted to intentionally leave her 
uh, you know, black out, you know, you can't get well for your child or for your husband, you know, you've got to do it for yourself. So now that I know that I would probably handle it differently. So I'm always curious to know how did your mom show you love and yet show you the boundaries? Yeah. Well, I could not go home or around her if I was high or drunk. No. And I, I also could not ever ask her for money or to bail me out. So it's pretty much like you're on your own. If that's the, if, you know, if that's the road you choose and, you know, I'll be here when, <laughs> when you get back, if you get back. Right. Oh, wow. Do you talk about that time now with her much? You know, no, I'll, because she lives in the now, not the past. Okay. And she doesn't like to talk about the past that much. She's like, why let's go do something right now and I think she learned that in Al-Anon about just being present in the moment about like you know if I ask her something down the road she'll be like oh let's just you know see how it goes (laughs) we'll just take one at a time one day at a time you know like when I start to plan too far ahead and then you know she she always will reel me back and be like let's just take it easy yeah you know let's just see how it goes and I now live in a house where my husband drinks, but not problematic, but he is a social drinker and my stepsons and they all use pot. Oh, and it drives me crazy. I mean, I almost still want to move out of my house every week and I don't know how to set my boundaries because I don't know if I can take, I can take my daughter with me. I've only, I'm only sober and sturdy you know, long enough now where I feel like I can leave and take her before I was always not sure I knew I could leave, but if I left, I didn't know if I could take her or not. Oh, wow. So that's <laughs> measurable. That's really a good. So I know I could leave and take her and, or draw the line. Do I draw the line at my house? Cause it's my house. Right. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> so I'm now going to Al-Anon Right. So after, then after I started going to, after two and a half years into AA, then I started going to Al-Anon because I'm like, okay, I can deal with myself. Now, how do I deal with other, these other people that drink around? (laughs) Wow. And I really have no problem socially going out. It's just, and it's only because I see my millennials and I feel like there's a problem and there's a failure to launch. So I feel that they're at their bottom, even though everybody's bottom is different and then you have to get there on your own. Right. Right. So I can set boundaries and my boundaries are, you know, no smoking from like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. You know, when my daughter's awake. Like if this, if she sees it, you know, that's my boundary is her right now. It's protecting her. Mm-hmm. Um, working? I mean, it, it, it's working Yeah, They're still here. It, it works and it's never been come up. Like she'll question the smell once in a while and stuff like that. But I'm having a really hard time with the, with the marijuana. Do you have a trigger to do that ever? Marijuana? Yeah. No. Okay. So no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put anything in my body. I don't even want to take medicine, you know, vitamins or anything. I'm like, no, I'm just going to eat real food because yeah, I'd rather just drink alcohol than, than take medicine. Yeah. And if it's, a, it was, it's the same thing for me. It's a coping, it's a coping mechanism. Right. And I don't, I'd rather feel the pain and I need to feel the pain and 
feel what's happening so I can make an adjustment. Otherwise I'll go down the rabbit hole of masking pain. I see. So you were one of those who didn't really have any trauma in your life. You just, you were, you just had the gene. And um, I think that's why you say with serenity, you know, you've got to, it's not who you are. You were born with the gene and pre predestined to have the disease. So now you're learning how to feel so that you can cope with life and not have to lean on alcohol. So um, it has the book really, so writing your book, was that very therapeutic for you? Was it more than you thought? Were there times where you were just so emotional when you were writing it? Yeah, there were times when I'd write and then I'd shut it and I couldn't get back to it for a couple of days. And even like starting recording my audio book, it's weird just reading it because it, it, it does. When you finish writing, you seem like a different person. Like it's almost like that's the past and you're like a completely different, a completely different person. But writing the book has been the best thing that I've done as far as reaching people and community and hope and help and you know, the people that have reached out to me, it's just, it's just amazing because just because I look put together from the outside doesn't mean that I always was put together. And I think that that's really like peeling back the onion, you know, it, it, alcoholism, it's still killing people. Number two, it's obesity is number one by high sugary drink. Sugar's the new drug. Number two is alcoholism. It just passed tobacco and tobacco is, is number three in killing people. And that's all real romanticized. And they took, yeah. you know, tobacco, it took many years to change the laws in that. And I would like to, you know, go all the way up to Capitol Hill and change the laws for advertising alcohol because it is killing people. Yeah. It's killing people every day. I'm on fire about that. I just love that idea. When you first told me that, I was like, okay, I'm going to step up there, the Capitol Hill with you <laughs> by your side. Because yeah. I, I just, even when you go to the, to buy a greeting card, you open them up and it's all about like having a glass of wine or something funny around drinking. And it's like, stop it. Yeah. It, I, I don't like it. And the thing for me um, that made it when I started to when I hit my bottom was that the grocery store started serving alcohol. My gym was serving alcohol. The movie theater started serving mm -hmm. alcohol. So I didn't even have to go outside of my child to find a drink, you know, everywhere I took her, whether it was a swimming lessons at the club or to the grocery store, somebody was handing me, you know, a drink. And it was just so socially acceptable within the, the, the people that I was around and, Oh, like you earn it. Like, Oh, why? Because you have this life that you love and it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you, you need to have a glass of wine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, and then, you know, one turns into the bottle next thing. Oh, it's fine. Just drive your kids home in your SUV. Like, no, that's, that's just not, a, it's a recipe for disaster, but it's, it's so socially acceptable. Yeah with where I'm at and the advertising and the marketing towards moms and just the whole thing. And, you know, like mad, the mothers against drunk driving, you know, they made, they made a wave and they, they rose education and educated us. And, you know, I want to be part of that next wave. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, for people who can't see, there is a picture behind you and it looks like 
Is that you holding a bat? Um, oh yeah, right here. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's also the, it's the back cover of my book and I'm smashing anxiety, depression, overeating and alcoholism. Oh goodness. So those are the four things that I've addressed. Um, quitting to win, you know, was a plan words with being an athlete. And it was always like, you know, just do it, grow up. I grew up in the era of just do it. And so, yeah, I mean, for everybody, all your moms out there, I would like to gift you a free book, Quitting to Win. And you can go to quittingtowinfreebook.com. And if you want, you then you can um, and just pay for the shipping. And if you'd like to, you know, upgrade, you can get the audiobook. And I know you've been teaching on the Inhackable, um, which is a, yes. a program that I really believe in myself. You know, it's like once you go through the steps and you get sober, and it's like, so you're sober. So what? Now what? You know, and I had, I have a hard time. Not, I had, a, there was a point where I had a hard time going back to meetings because I was living in the past, right? So how do I take all that and move forward and live in the future and not live in my disease, but, you know, let my pain become my purpose. And the unhackable book helped me clear my mindset, just like the steps did. So if anybody can go through those steps, those 12 steps as the 12-step process, then this is like the next best step for them. <laughs> I love that you're saying that because I felt that way. And I, I mean, it's just I think moms of addicted loved ones have to go through the 12 steps because I mean yeah they the do. Moms, they do. So then you go through it and then so now what? What are you going to do right. with it? Because at the end of it, it's mm -hmm. like be of service, right? And so then you're of service to your community and you play small and you play safe to make sure you get your legs back. And once you get your legs back and you get all your verbiage back and you get, you know, you're armed with your words and your shield of God and all this stuff, you know, to where you can stand up to even your husband or even somebody, you know, <laughs> who's really close to you that, that you always played small under, like that's when you're ready for this book. And this book will help you get there. So I don't know. I read a lot of books, but um, the unhackable book definitely, I think, is the next best step past 12 steps. You know, I introduced the 12 steps. So, so back to my structure for this. And I wrote it as a, a small group study. So if you go on my website, then you can get the book. Then I'll give you three free ebooks, you know. And so you can get it to your friends and your family, and you guys can study it together and discussion questions. Um, and then once you get through that, you know, that's the next best book for the 2020 new year of how not to be hacked. And how to close the gap between dreaming and doing. So I just want to close with, you know, the serenity. And even though we have the disease, even as a parent, I'm still wondering, like, am I going to push that disease? Like, does my daughter have that disease? And I see her eat sugar and chocolate and stuff. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, you know, when you watch <laughs> those movies and they're like, that's a sign of an early alcoholic. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, does she have that? I don't know. But either way, I'm not going to carry the shame and guilt like my mom didn't, that she didn't pass it on to me, right? That's all we can do is walk who you are. We can just be, live by example. We can live by example in serenity and peace. And we might have the disease, but we can get a daily reprieve with a spiritual connection and carry the message of hope. Love it. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. Um, does anybody have any questions? You can unmute yourself. 
So I see my friend Stephanie came on and Babs and Missy and I, you know, I don't, I'm not on the Facebook. I couldn't get on the link. Oh, are you live streaming in the Facebook? Oh, there oh, we yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. I can comment. Oh, there it is. I can comment back. All right. Okay. Yeah. See, I can't see, I don't know how to do that. Some people have multiple screens and I can't comment on questions in the Facebook group. So I okay. usually, yeah, I usually then, do that. Yeah. I put my link in the comments. You did already? Quittingfreebook.com and then I'll also put it on the. Okay. So do you still play softball? I'm able to coach now. So I coached um, little girls in junior high and I work with high school kids. I zipped up my bag after I um, got out of college for 15 years before I was able to coach again, but now I'm able to go back and coach and, you know, spread the joy of the love of the game. Oh, wow. Do you, and do you enjoy that? Cause sometimes I would think you, some people would like to play, but coaching is a whole different skill. Coaching is a whole different skill. Yes, it is. And I, I, I love being out there with the kids. She's very good at it. She's very good at coaching and she's very good at training. She's oh, thank you. Very good. I have coached by coach Babs daughter a while ago and um, Babs, I personally trained her for many years after she had her, her last kid went to kindergarten at five years old is when we met and now he's 20. Oh so, my goodness. So you're a personal trainer too. I started personal training after college because, you know, I spent many, many years in the gym okay. and people's homes training them. And then now I was able to also write that part into my book, you know, and give them, but the, the part that I was missing was the mental piece and then the spiritual right. piece, you know, is about getting ready to fit into a dress or get ready for an event or a wedding. But if you work on the inside first, the outside will come as yeah. opposed to working on the outside and then looking and finding, you know, feeling empty yeah. <laughs> after you're drunk in that dress blacked out. <laughs> so what do you eat for breakfast? I gotta know. <laughs> oh, what do I eat for breakfast? Well, yeah. first I wake up, I drink a bottle of water. Okay. Immediately every day, as soon as I wake up, yeah. then I have coffee within an hour or two. Then yeah. I eat the first piece of fruit for an hour or two. And then I eat like my first meal, which would be a shake. Okay. So then, is it mostly a protein shake? Yeah, protein shake filled with fruit, you know, banana, strawberry. All the recipes are in here. Oh, you're kidding. And okay. The, recipe, the recipes are in here. And I also just came, I'm just getting some, my new, my new, some of my new products are coming out, but they're, it's eating to win. Oh. So that's all coming out first quarter. So what's your but favorite snack? Is that in there? <laughs> almonds and dark chocolate. Okay. Yeah, sliced almonds, sliced almonds, because you don't want to go overeat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't do that. I always wondered. I'm like, because you know, this many is so many calories, and so I try not to worry about that. But it's like, oh, after a while, you're like, whoa, I eat way too many. So slice them. Very good to know that. To get the sliced almonds. But you know what they say, like in program, they say, well, you can't get arrested for eating a Snickers bar. So give yourself some grace. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because when you come off of the alcohol and the substance, like sometimes you want the sugar and you still or you need that three o'clock thing. So, you know, you have to really give yourself some grace on that, on the food thing. When, so how, how often does that happen? Because I know our son and daughter-in-law, um, 
they were emaciated because they were, you know, they had, they struggled with alcohol, but then it was heroin and opioids and meth. And so by the time they went into recovery a couple years ago, they were um, emaciated. I mean, they were so unhealthy, but now they are so great. And we don't ever have pop in our house, um, but if they show up, they, they always have a soda, a can of soda. And I, I'm trying not to judge that at all. I mean, this is their journey. I'm, I'm sure it's not easy, but how, how often do people just substitute other things? Um, very often. And it, it, you have to address that. And hopefully you have a good sponsor or somebody telling you right away what to look for, because, you know, the program, you come off of stuff, but you also have to know what to put in, you know, whether it be like a yoga or a walk or yeah, a almonds that. and dark chocolate, like you have to know what to put in because they're telling you what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. But it's like, okay, well, then what do I do? Oh, good point. What do yeah. I do? You know? Yeah. So, you know, obviously coffee and cigarettes is like the old fashioned thing when, when people would go to meetings and, you know, they would drink coffee and the cigarettes and that's kind of gone away, but we have the disease of more. If one okay. is good, more is better, right? So no matter if it's not the alcohol, if it's the coffee, you know, if you're drinking coffee all day long, that will still end up taking a toll on your body. Sure. And, you know, medicine can eat, uh, Food can either be your greatest medicine or your slowest poison. Mm. And sugary drinks and the high sugary drinks, like I just said, are number one killing people for lifestyle choice disease. Because alcoholism and pain pills and stuff falls into a lifestyle choice disease. Like you might be predisposed for diabetes and stuff, but if you drink sure. the sugar, that's going to turn it on. Right. And if you're an alcoholic, you drink the alcoholic, that's going to turn it on. Or if you're an addict, you take the opioids, it's going to turn it on. So if you have already those predisposed, you know, to be diabetic and then you're drinking the sugar, you know, it's feeding you and releasing that. I mean, that's why some places reg started regulating their cups their cup sizes, New York, you know, they got rid of the like 42 ounces and like made 24 the largest cup that they could serve because people don't know any better. They're going into the fast food places and getting these huge cups, right? Right. And they started regulating the sugar in schools and the, you know, no sodas because they've now found that sugar, but that is going to be a long fight. Yes. <laughs> that is, that is. Maybe, but yeah, it's, it is, I, I think that, you know, with the program, you know, having a holistic approach, it really, it takes somebody for in recovery, you know, to be surrounded with a holistic approach to be able to really bounce out of it. Otherwise you can get out and be sober and then right. still have those same bad habits. Well, so yeah, like, because you just want more of something. So how, how did you cope with stopping more of anything? What, what is your more right now? Do you have a more? No, my more is computer work, which is really, which is really weird, but no, I know. Well, for, okay. After I got sober, then I had, I, I broke my back and went through back surgery oh. and my broken back was from, um, years of high impact life of, of being an athlete. They said your back's like a lineman or a gymnast mm. and then being alcoholic 
and malnourished all the time pulled on my bones, which created weak bones for is like osteoporosis almost. So I just broke myself. So then going through surgery and not knowing if I was going to be able to walk again or run or coach or do yoga or, you know, do anything with my five-year-old daughter at the time, that was enough for me to not be more because my initial more was workout, Mm -hmm. was go to yoga every day. And I would just go bury myself in yoga because I knew if I was in yoga, I was safe, right? I was in those, I was in the room. So if I wasn't in that room, then I would go to a meeting. Then I would go to yoga. Then I would go to a meeting. Wow. (laughs) Then I go home and sleep and I'd wake up and I do it all over again. But that was all I could do. I mean, I was no good to myself or anybody else. So then I go through that whole pattern for a year and I'm still no good to anybody. Like, how did I get out of that? You know, my husband was like, uh so you just switch one thing for another you're never here anyways because you're always at meetings but don't you think it takes a a long time and i know that's in your book to establish a new habit and you were trying to get rid of bad habits but in order to implement new habits it and, and everybody takes a different amount of time i mean you can't that's not you know, it's not, there's not a magic number that every single person has to go through. So for you, it ended up being there. And then you had your moment of, aha, oh my goodness, I need something. Now what? Right. And that's when you wrote the book. And And I also think um, I got involved in the international women's um, AA conference and oh. so I was exposed to, you know, they have a, the national conference that's mixed and then they have the international women's conference. And I think because I was exposed to high level of women that I saw come out of the rooms and do something great with their life. You know, it was just like the speakers oh. that were brought in that I got to hear. Right. I think that's what made me go, oh, okay. You that. know, because when you, if you just stay in your neighborhood meeting, then you're only still exposed to your neighborhood, you know, friends. And so you were all here drunk together. Now you're all here sober together, but you're all still just right here. Right. You know, so it depends if you, you know, you have to change your playground, like they say, right. then you got to get out. And I was attracted to different meetings mm-hmm. and I was attracted to, I started listening to speakers on YouTube somehow I found that and I was like what it's anonymous I can get a speaker on YouTube wow these people are really funny you know and it was the national speaker so I tried to get to that higher level and then I seeked out people like celebrities and uh, moms like mm-hmm. that I knew were sober and, and I would be like oh wow she was sober and she's still doing all this you know she was and they're your inspiration. Yeah. They're your inspiration. So I just shifted my inspiration to, you know, women who are now hold the keys to the kingdom, who have longtime sobriety, who stayed married, who, oh, you know, started a company after this and all those things. And I'm like, if they did it, I can do it. You know, I can shift this. And those women, my, the women that I've created in my circle in the last five years, before that, I really didn't have any really close women connections because it was all about getting dressed, drinking and going out, right? Yeah. And then piecing together what happened the next day. And these women, I have seen them do more than I've seen in, you know, women do in like my last 20 years. 
it's it's just crazy that you just can really get stuff done when you get in flow and you're around the right people right and i and i think probably letting go of my marriage and just being like whatever's going to happen is going to happen and stop trying to um, fit that was really a backpack off of me yeah and i decided to recover out loud Right. Well, and you can't control, you can't control everything. Like you, you're learning, you can just control yourself. And that's kind of where I'm at with moms is trying to help them see that, you know, they've, they've got to find their purpose and their passion, because if they can focus on themselves and finding that, I believe that their children are going to see that they're going to be inspired by that, empowered by that. And it, it takes it off of them, takes the pressure. So I think you brought up a really great point because so many moms with wonderful kids think I have to do all for my kid, right? And so when that kid goes off track, then that parent just gives more to that kid instead of just keep doing what you're doing. So then they have something to look up to, right? Because otherwise it's, I mean, and we t- we've talked in lengths about this, how being a parent you know, you really want to walk by example and hovering, you know, maybe, you know, being your best self as a parent is the best thing you can do. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah. And, um, the worst who Carl Young, what was his quote about the unfulfilled parent? Um, the worst most devastating thing to a child child. is the unlived life of a parent yes thank you oh my goodness you know what I wanted to say so let's say that again the most devastating thing to a child is the unlived life of a parent right and so raising child is great right and it has its seasons and you go through these different seasons and then it's time for you to lead by example of going out there and living. And that's what you're saying. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And so that's kind of the space I sit in because I, yes, they have to learn how to heal. We, we moms have to learn how to heal and how to come alongside our and love our children through their addiction somehow. But, but the space I love is that next space, right? So, okay. Once moms are into recovery and they understand that concept, then what are you going to do with your life? Where are you going to go? Especially because we're in this life of us are like, what do I do now? Right. And, and you have so much more to give. So, um, and not only that, if you're a mother of addicted children, you are strong. You are courageous. We are mighty. You are, you know, you have all of those tools, Mm-hmm. right and you know how to manage people and you know when people are bsing you and you know when they're manipulating <laughs> yeah. you and you know when they're stealing we're, from you right because you've been, all, you've been through all of that <laughs> yeah that's true i didn't think about it that way but you're right we're very intuitive usually mom will say i think my child's using i'm like uh trust your gut he probably is <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just want to say, Stephanie um, wrote in the chat, you are such a great example and inspiration. Thanks for being you, Crystal. And Stephanie, thank you. Is this, is Stephanie a friend of yours? Yes, Stephanie is a good friend of mine. She, she's also author. I I thought I saw her book. I was just, we, we do some stuff together. She, she's living your best life. She's a mom of four. 
Oh, I've seen that book. Okay. And so, um, yeah, she's, she's really great. We met through Carrie also. Like I said, the people that I've met through Carrie have just been solid. Yeah. Solid people who want to make a difference, you know? And I think, Michelle, that's why I just want to thank you for inviting me on because... Oh. Totally our pleasure. Yeah. I am so happy for you and the group that you've created around you of mothers and you're going through it together and you, you're not just surviving it together. You're going to thrive together, you know, and you're going to make a difference. Yeah. Trying you're going to make a difference. Yes. Thank you. We are, we already are right, Missy. <laughs> we are absolutely. If even if it's, even if it's not, it's in our kids' life. We're making a difference we're, uh, in some way. So I believe that. Yes. So. And Crystal, thank you so much. I, I really admire you for putting yourself out there and just being open and willing to share. And it's just amazing to me what you've done. And I admire you. Well, thank well, you, Missy. And don't give up hope for your yourself or your daughter. Yeah, because your daughter, you could, um, well, I know I'm always, I always want to buy my kids books. It's kind of like my way of lecturing, but you could, you could um, get, get Crystal's book and just kind of nonchalantly leave it on her nightstand someday. <laughs> yeah, right. And so Missy, since you know about Michelle's group of how she's doing the Inhackable Moms. You know that, right? I don't yeah. think, oh, does she? Okay, does she do you? Anyway, so my group is Unhackable AF, and that stands for, it's a play on words, but it's Unhackable Alcohol-Free. Okay. Is yeah. what that is. So it's like, so we're sober, so what, now what? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> and where can, where can people find that? They can find that in Facebook. That's the Facebook group called Unhackable AF. And you'll see a picture of me and, or my book on it or something, but. Okay. I think you told me that. And I forgot, cause I went to your personal page and I was trying to find it. So I'm so glad I asked. Yes. Because I want to pop in there and, um, and, and then send people there. So I will do that. Um, but thanks again. I'm going to stop recording. And if I can find my okay, book. so yep, everybody go get a free book at quitting to win freebook.com. Well, thank you.